You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. It's Friday, 2nd of November, so 2nd of December. November was the best month in the JC since May 2003. I'm Simon Brown, coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb studios in Houghton, Johannesburg. On the show today, we're going to be chatting with John Cherry. The future of the office, is, the sector continues to struggle. Is there a future? How do you make that future happen? The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from MoneyWeb. Fixing SA means having the confidence to do so. Fascinating podcast with Christo Visa. Uh, and from Business Day, uh, Sunlam and Absa conclude deal to create one trillion rand black-owned asset merge, uh, manager. A new company will use distribution networks of Sunlam and Absa to sell investment products. This has taken longer than was expected, but it has now finally happened. Morning on markets. Uh, U.S. was mixed. The S&P down 0.1% and the Nasdaq up 0.1%. Asia is red. Uh, Sydney down 0.8% and Tokyo off 1.9%. Commodities, uh, green overnight. Gold, $1,811 an ounce. Brent, $87.22. Platinum, Thousand and fifty-two in palladium, one thousand nine hundred and twenty-six. Uh, Rand seventeen sixty-two. Bitcoin sixteen thousand nine hundred. Uh, Ten cent trading down half a percent in Hong Kong. And top forty opening call five hundred and fifty points to the red. That is zero point eight percent. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. I'm talking with John Cherry, you find him at Cherry Flava talking the office. I mean, we see the data coming out of REITs locally in the US and Europe. Uh, office uh, vacancies remain 25%, sometimes even north of that. Uh, and and this, it doesn't seem to be getting better in any hurry whatsoever. John, appreciate the time today. Uh, you put out a note just recently around the future of the office. And the, the one point you did say that, that it's actually become deeply divisive at this point. Yeah, I mean, I just saw on The Economist this morning that apparently, um, uh, especially CEOs in North America are tearing their hair out as to how they can attract people back to the office. And they're thinking about things like holding pop concerts and they want to do wine tasting. Uh, and there are all sorts of tricks to try and lure people back. But I think what's interesting is that uh, the way that we see the office is kind of a proxy for the, the, the way that we see work. And how that has changed. And I think the real accelerator there has obviously been the pandemic. And now that people have uh, sort of proven that you can be productive at Mm. home, um, we're now starting to question, well, why do we need to go back to the old framework if uh, if the new test was, was so great? You know, you need to really convince me as to why it's important that I need to come and fill a desk after having commuted for hours to get to that desk. Um, So understandably, questions are being asked, and at at this stage, there aren't necessarily a lot of great answers. And part of the trick, and as you're alluding to it there, I mean, offices that we use them today, they they weren't designed to to be fun places. They were designed to get as many people in um, and be as as low cost as possible and, and have the corner glass office for the boss. Right. And I think that's the point, exactly as you say, is that, you know, the office was kind of a central place where you could house everybody. And yes, you you packed them in. So I'm sure there was some kind of a metric of, uh, you know, productivity per square meter. Um, How much money are we making out of the people that we stack in here? But things have changed so radically since then. 
Uh, and I think now the world of work is really revolved, yes, still around productivity. That's, that's obviously important. Sure. But more and more, the soft skills of creativity and innovation and creating new value in organizations is really key. And in addition to that, Brands and businesses need to attract talent that are really going to be able to do that. So in order, in order to attract that kind of talent, you need to be super flexible in how uh, you harness the productivity that they bring. Plus, you can't stifle the creativity and the innovation that you're hoping to get from those people. So in many ways, offices now need to perform these two functions, which is how do I leverage productivity to, to the best of the ability that I can? Because these are knowledge workers. They're not mm -hmm. factory workers. Uh, and how do I inspire creativity through collaboration and through having a space where people want to spend time in that space and think of new, interesting, innovative ideas that are, you know, I'm going to be able to create products and sell those products into a changing marketplace into the future. So that's what the new office is meant to do. It's meant to really create the conditions under which those uh, behaviors uh, emerge. Um, and I don't necessarily think that people have framed it in that way as yet. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned pop concerts earlier. It sounds like fun, but I mean, yeah, how many pop concerts can I go to in a, in, in a week at work? Uh, I mean, it, it, it's going to be around design. I mean, I've been to some of the sort of newer corporate offices in, San, in, in Rosebank. This was pre the pandemic. And you could see that they were trying design. I don't think they were quite getting it there yet. But, but mm. this is as, almost as anything a, a, a design challenge. Yeah, exactly. And, and to your point, Simon, I mean, you don't want to go to a pop concert with people that you are work colleagues. <laughs> with work colleagues, you go and you do like amazing work uh, with those people. If I want to go and have a jaw, I'll go with my friends and we'll go to a stadium and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's just ingenious the way that they're kind of thinking of those things. And I think exactly to your point, I don't think the office has really been designed with the, the intention of what you're trying to create this space to do. Um, it's, yeah, I, it's, it's not necessarily about space. It's about the experience and it's about what you inspire in that space. So, you know, even things like desks and, uh, meeting rooms and, you know, all of these concepts need to be rethought because, you know, research shows that people have their best ideas when they go out for a walk or when they're mm -hmm. on the beach or when they're climbing a mountain. So if that is the case, then why is the office not on top of a mountain? <laughs> why, you know, why are there not structures in place to try to inspire different ways of working? And I think that's the thing is that the thinking needs to actually break out of the physical space and actually redesign what kind of behavior are you trying to create and then create the conditions under which that behavior com uh, comes forth. Uh, so, look, it sounds like I'm talking like a real designer now, which potentially I am because I'm a futurist and I design strategies for the future. But I think that, that I really think that that's what needs to happen is start with a blank, a blank slate and then build from there, depending on what you're trying to create. Yeah, I like that, a blank slate and, and less top down. I mean, you know, all these all these bosses thinking that they know how to solve the problem. I mean, good old fashioned, go speak to your staff, see what works for them. Is it a mountain? I mean, for me, it's a beach. I mean, it's going to be different for everyone. But 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 speak to your staff. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the thing is that there are no answers here as yet. So there's a lot of uncertainty in the space. Mm. And when presented with uncertainty, the trick is to explore and be creative and use your imagination and to design. And I think that's potentially what's not happening. As you say, people think they have answers. They don't. 
just accept that there are no answers as yet and it needs to be designed from scratch. Does getting this right, because someone's going to get it right, lots of people are going to get it right in time. We will chat in five or ten years and, and, and look back and there certainly will be some level of innovation. It, I would imagine it becomes a competitive advantage. A hundred percent. And I think that's the thing is that in the world today, one of the key drivers of uh, future success is how successful are you at attracting talent? Mm. And we know now that as we move into an age where business is becoming more and more digital and technology is becoming a huge part of the, of the value chain of a business, you have to attract the kind of people who understand technology and can be creative with adaptive technologies. And that's about how do I piece together technologies to create something brand new? Uh, and those kind of people are very, very rare and they're very, very highly skilled. And nowadays with remote working, you're not just competing with uh, you know, other businesses in the Johannesburg or Cape Town area. You're competing with people around the world. So you've got to be better than uh, a guy who's sitting in Sandton and potentially could be working remotely for Google. So that's the challenge is that you've now got to attract that kind of talent. Uh, and the benchmark is world-leading organizations, not just the, the company next door. So I think, again, with that kind of lens on the problem, uh, you're really going to have to hit it out of the park to get these people to, to want to work for your organization. Yeah, we'll, we'll watch with interest. As I said in the intro, the offices are lying empty there all, over, all over the world, truthfully, um, and the solutions so far don't seem to be working. Folks aren't keen to go back. We'll leave it there. John Cherry, uh, Cherry Flava, always appreciate the insights. And that's our question today. Are you back in the office yet? Maybe you, maybe you never had an office and, and this whole conversation is moot for you. Uh, perhaps not a chance, perhaps hybrid. And I think it is so surely hybrid to some degree uh, the answer. Or perhaps it is a full-time solution. Let us know. Have your vote. Have your say. LinkedIn and Twitter. Your money gives a damn. If it could protest and sign petitions, your money would. But your money can do more than that. When you invest in Stanlib's Infrastructure Investment Fund, beyond getting solid returns, you are helping to build a more sustainable future through job creation and positive economic growth. Damn right you are. Invest for more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. The Chinese uh, zero COVID policy, which they've pretty much had in place, well, I mean, what, since uh, uh, February of, of 2020, over two and a half years. Uh, and it's draconian. I mean, you literally a, a COVID case, one, two, COVID, and they will lock down an area. They will lock down buildings. Heck, they will lock down cities. And the idea has been you don't want the, 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 the virus spreading. And, and Sure, I get that. The problem is that it hasn't gone away and it causes massive disruptions. We're still seeing, you know, what, almost three years since the pandemic first arrived, uh, Foxconn factories being shut down. Although what Foxconn does, and of course they produce the Apple iPhone, uh, is they then lock the staff in the factory and, and they've got uh, uh, living quarters and the like there and they just can't leave. They, they kind of make it its own little bubble. But it has major economic impact. As you lock down a region, you know, whatever activity was happening there grinds to a halt. Whatever production was happening there grinds to a halt. Uh, and, and with supply chains where you need components from all different parts of the world or the country, it, it really starts to create some significant problems there. The thing with it, this zero COVID, if you look at COVID cases in, in, in China, they're now spiking up to 70,000 cases per day. In, in the first wave, way back in February 2020, they were 
15,000 cases a day. So the numbers have got absolutely massive. But China can't sort of take their foot off the pedal. Xi Jinping is stuck between, in many senses, a rock and a hard place. Because of this uh, uh, zero COVID policy, there's no herd immunity. They haven't built that herd immunity because simply it hasn't been in enough of the population. They have very low vaccine rates, especially in the older population. And uh, the Sinovac vaccine, which uh, China produced, by all accounts, is just not nearly as efficient as the as the Moderna, the Pfizer, the, the Johnson & Johnson. So uh, some folks will say, well, surely you can abandon the policy because of the markedly lower uh, mortality rate with Omicron. And that's a fair shot. But the modeling suggests that even if they did it, even with Omicron, it could potentially be 700,000 deaths in a five-month period. And much as the rest of the world, including South Africa, saw during 2020, during uh, the horrors of 2021, what this does is it puts massive pressure on your hospitals. And there's a ripple effect. You know, someone who needs cancer surgery, someone who needs knee surgery, uh, someone who has a heart attack suddenly can't get medical help. So what China's going to need to do is kind of balance this because it's hurting Chinese GDP. This is happening just as the world global GDP is under pressure. China, of course, the world's second largest economy, and it, it needs to... It needs to open, but it can't do the Big Bang. Xi Jinping is not going to be overly concerned by the, the protests. It will worry him, but it, it, it's not a, a threat to national security because of the draconian measures China will use to crack down on it. I think they will start to slightly relax policy. I think they will ease it up, but it's going to be a slow process. And that slow process is going to take, I mean, easily a year perhaps even more. And in the meantime, that means that we are losing the second largest economy. They'll still grow 3 4% GDP, but not that sort of 5 6 7% that we've had in an age. And of course, impact for commodities. China, a huge consumer of commodities. It, it's an important uh, component to watch. We've, we've got uh, threats of recessions around the world. We've got rising rates. We've got high inflation. We've got war in, in Europe. Um, and this is another one that we need to keep our eye on. Your money knows it's not just about the money. It's about your returns returning the favour and empowering people. Your money can do more to change the narrative. Beyond delivering consistent returns, investing in the Stanlib Kanyisa Impact Investment Fund can help eradicate poverty and protect the environment. Invest for more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. We can't get a hold of our markets guest. I wanted to talk on SAS or trading update yesterday. Uh, the, the, the numbers to end of September uh, in isolation, sorry, end of December, look perfectly good. Uh, absolutely no worries with, with those numbers. They have some production challenges. And what we saw uh, uh, yesterday was that Omnia getting absolutely hit because, of course, you know, ammonia, they, they get that from, from Sasol and, and other issues out there. So they've certainly got those. And it was that forward-looking statement which really spooked the market. To December, things will be okay, uh, but forward, not so good. And, of course, the big driver is oil and, and rand. Rand had been going stronger, but yesterday was a calamitous day for the for the rand. Um, and oil, and it's $85, uh, it, it's jiggling around. We'll see where it eventually goes. But once the production issues will get sorted, Sasol will solve that. Then it comes back to oil and czar and where those are moving. <laughs> 
That's it for today. We're chatting with Alan Robert McBelly yesterday from Perpetua. We're asking where he's seeing value on, on the JSC. Um, and and uh, particularly, we asked him, first question was, what about possible impeachment of the president? How much does that change your strategy? He made a great point, and he said, you know what? It does matter in terms of, of legislation, in terms of policy. I mean, that's what your president, to a large degree, does. Although perhaps in South Africa, less it, maybe it's more ANC policy. Anyway, we asked if you if this potential impeachment would change your strategy for investing uh, in the year ahead. Uh, some 40% of you said a little, but we will see. And that, I think, is probably the spot-on response. A third said, no worries, quality always wins. Uh, and a quarter of you were very concerned and said, most definitely you are responding accordingly. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn. The show was brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning, the MoneyWeb website and the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie Nobokle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again Monday. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.